Well, hey everyone, my name is Jason. I'm one of the pastors here. And today we are talking about anger. We're talking about anger. And I don't know what comes to mind when you think about anger in your life or what you've experienced around you. Maybe some of the first thoughts for me is always just road rage. I feel like I'm not myself someone who experiences road rage, but I've been the recipient of road rage, which also hurts. And so anger, any conversation about anger is both about our experience of being angry and also receiving people's anger. And anger is sometimes clenched fists and raised voices. But if you're like me, there's anger, but it doesn't leak out that way. It more leaks out with like cynical, sarcastic comments, kind of loaded statements, but that's anger beneath the surface still sneaking out. And I feel like, well, the reason why we're talking about anger is because it showed up in the order of our expository journey through the book of Ephesians. And so we didn't choose this topically. It's just where we're at in the text. But I feel like it's relevant for us today because of our experience with COVID-19. I heard someone say recently that the kind of culture's emotional response to the first wave of COVID was fear. And the culture's emotional response to the second wave was frustration. But I heard someone say that the third wave, the experience and response was anger. And I think whether we've acknowledged it or not, in our own hearts and underneath the surface on a society level, there is like a brewing anger and it leaks out in so many different ways. And so we're on a series through Ephesians and Ephesians was written by Paul, an apostle, a church planter to a young church in Ephesus and then shared around to other churches in Asia Minor. And as a young church ourselves, we're spending about six months moving slowly through the book of Ephesians. And for last week, this week, and the next three weeks, we're in a mini series called A Better Way. And we're looking at the passage of scripture from uh, chapter four, verse 17 to five, verse eight. And specifically today, within the context of that whole passage of scripture, I'm looking at chapter four, verses 26 and 27. And in this series, we're covering a lot of different themes. Today, anger, but it deals with dishonesty. Like this text deals with dishonesty, with greed, with bitterness and sexual morality. And here's what Paul says about all of those things. He says, first, those are part of the old life. They're not part of the new life in Christ. Those are out of sync with life in Jesus. And he says, all of those things give the devil a foothold in our lives and all of those things grieve the Holy Spirit. These things, anger, dishonesty, greed, bitterness, sexual immorality, they grieve the Holy Spirit. They're out of sync with Jesus and they give the devil a foothold in our lives. And so today, looking specifically at anger, chapter four, verses 26 and 27, let me just tell you my experience as I've been preparing this talk. Like entering into these just two lines of scripture, realizing how nuanced and profound the commentary that Paul gives us on anger is. Let me read it to you. It says this. It says, in your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. And... Do not give the devil a foothold. Three ideas, really simple to follow. First idea, in your anger, do not sin. Second idea, do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. And third idea, do not give the devil a foothold. Now here's what Paul is not saying. Paul is not saying, don't be angry. How does that strategy work for you? Have you ever tried to tell someone who is angry not to be angry? It is ineffective. Paul is also not saying when you're angry, hold it in. That's something that a lot of families 
that's like their tactic is we don't do anger. We hold it in. We push it down. We pretend that it doesn't exist. But that is a very problematic response to anger because anger has this way of like growing and almost fermenting in our souls. Anger can layer with hurt and pain and loss and more anger. And it can mold to a deep-seated anger that's like untethered from even its original cause. And it can splurt out or like just like uh, uh, explode out like a volcano if it's triggered. And it can turn to bitterness and rage and all kinds of destructive outcomes. So Paul doesn't say don't be angry. He doesn't say hold it in or pretend it doesn't exist. But he also doesn't say just let it out. And this is the most, maybe, maybe this takes a little bit more time to unpack because he's not saying just let out. That's a really common response because if you're like, if I can't not just be angry and I can't hold it in, then what am I left to do? I've got to let it out. But the problem with that idea of like just justifying your actions in the name of just letting out your anger is it ends up hurting you and it could hurt others and it doesn't deal with the root cause. And so Paul is saying there's a better way. And he's saying there's a better way in Jesus that through a relationship with Jesus, not just like saying one prayer, but walking with Jesus letting his ways become our ways, letting his spirit inform and invade every part of our life provides a better way. And we're going to talk about sexual morality and unwholesome talk, but today it's a better way to deal with our anger. Let me give you a summary of where I'm going. And literally, if you only see the next minute, you've got an overview of the whole talk. You can just ignore everything else I say first. When he says, in your anger, do not sin, here's what he's saying. He's saying you are responsible for what you do in your anger. That's the first point. And we're going to unpack each one of these further. Second, when he says, do not let the sun go down while you're still angry, he's saying anger should not be ignored. Get to the bottom of your anger before it becomes bitterness in your life. And then when he says, do not give the devil a foothold, He is saying unaddressed and unrighteous anger is an invitation for the enemy to bring destruction to your life and your family and your community. Okay, first point. In your anger, do not sin. He's quoting Psalm 4, verse 4 there. In the King James Version, I love it. It says, be angry, don't sin. Be angry, don't sin. First observation, anger is not always sinful. The Bible makes a distinction between godly anger and ungodly anger, righteous anger and unrighteous anger. What can we say about godly anger? Godly anger moves towards or moves against, I should say, evil and injustice. It moves against anything that is out of sync with God's flourishing plan for this world. And here's the thing, the way that godly anger operates is so different than the way that unrighteous anger operates. Godly anger is not spastic or flippant. It doesn't overreact in a moment. Godly anger is measured and controlled. It's thoughtful. And it's always rooted in God's righteousness. And it's always consistent with love and mercy. Godly anger is not in opposition to love and mercy and compassion and grace. It's in full harmony. And the best example of godly anger is Jesus in the temple. What was happening in the temple? 
is uh, the religious leaders of the day were exploiting foreigners and people of like non of, of women, non-men, and non-Jews by selling access into the temple and exploiting the system of worship for the purposes of their own and gain. And so Jesus goes into the temple. It says that he takes a whip that he made and he starts flipping tables. Now, sometimes when we imagine that, we think that he's like walking into the temple. He sees it for the first time and he reacts, but that's not what happened. This is measure. This is thoughtful. This is intentional. This is moving against evil and injustice. Jesus had been to the temple over and over and over again. He'd seen this over and over and over again. And thoughtfully, for the purpose of pushing against evil and injustice, he reacts and responds, measured and controlled. So anger is not always sinful. I love what John Stott says. He says, there is a great need in the contemporary world for more Christian anger. But that is another sermon for another time. We need to keep moving. The second implication from this first line from Paul, the first line being, in your anger, do not sin, is that we are responsible for what we do in our anger. In the New Living Translation, it's translated, don't sin by letting anger control you. There is this sense by which anger has this ability to almost control us, but Paul is saying, you are responsible for what you do in your anger. And this is a radical responsibility. Think about the language that we use. Think about how much we justify. Words said, actions done in the name of anger. We say, well, I was angry. Sometimes we embrace our anger because we feel like it justifies our actions. And we say, I'm just letting out my anger. And we hurt people with our words and we do destructive things to the people we love the most. And so we say, but I'm sorry, I was angry. And in saying that, we're not taking responsibility for our actions. And Paul's not letting us off the hook that way. He's saying, you are responsible for what you do in your anger. And I've just been thinking about even our language around anger. Think about what we say. We say, so-and-so made me angry. It's just that you made me angry. Or like, you know, the, the government made me angry. The restrictions or the policy or whatever it is, the, the way you're treated at a restaurant, they made me angry. But all that language takes our ownership out of it. They didn't make you angry. You might be angry at them, but you're the one who's angry. I'm the one who's angry. And so I'm trying even now as I reflect on this invitation to change my language around anger, not to use it as an excuse and not to blame other people for it, but to acknowledge it as a reality in my life. So Paul's saying, be angry, but don't sin. And here's the big truth. Here's what I want you to hear. It's very easy to sin when you're angry. Like, anger is like having too much alcohol. It clouds your judgment. It stops you from seeing clearly. It removes your inhibitions. Sometimes I hear people describe it like a blind rage. Anger has this blinding ability to remove our inhibitions. And so it becomes very easy to sin in your anger. And there's another aspect of anger that makes it dangerous. And it's that anger is inherently destructive because it moves against things. It's intended to move against things that are evil and unjust. That's righteous anger and it's to take them down. 
But when our anger is targeted at people or things in unhealthy ways, it has a destructive force. So not only is it blinding and removing our inhibitions, by its nature, it seeks to destruct. And so it is very, very easy to sin in our anger. And I just know for me, some of the worst things I've ever done, worst decisions I've made, worst things I've said, were in anger. In anger, doors are slammed. Fists are clenched. Words are said. And here's the thing about anger. Let's say you have an angry outburst. Eventually, you'll cool down. But all the damage that you did in your anger doesn't disappear when your anger cools down. Like the damage is still there afterwards. I remember... um, I grew up in like a, a townhouse complex in Port Moody and uh, the walls were thin and I remember hearing an argument in the house next door. And uh, I don't know how it all played out exactly, but the dad slammed a door and a window broke, shattered glass all in front of their house. And if I recall it right, I remember him coming back later and repairing the window, like cleaning up the glass. And that's what you do, right? You cool down, you have to come back and fix the damage. But the most common damage that's done in anger is on the hearts of those you love most. Because you can fix um, broken glass. But you, you can't hire someone or do something quick to fix the damage done by the words you've spoken. Like, the things in anger we've said to colleagues or friends, like that doesn't go away when you cool down. I think about how many marriages have, like the seed of the division was planted in the midst of anger and words that were said that can't be taken back. I think about the things we've said to our children in anger. Like, those were, like a child hears or picks up these experiences in the midst of anger and it doesn't just go away. And even kids watching the things you say to your parents, like you think they're impenetrable. But in your anger, we say the most horrible things. I hate you. And it's like those words don't just disappear. And so Paul is saying we cannot use anger as a license to say whatever we want. It's not an excuse to tear people down. It's not an excuse to use tactics like blame and shame. Wisdom says It's best not to do much talking when you're angry. Be very, very slow to speak in your anger. So Paul says it's easy to sin when you're angry. Be angry, but don't sin. Anger is no excuse for sin. Then he says this. He says, do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. What does this mean? 
What does this mean for him to say, do not let the sun go down while you're still angry? Here's what he's not saying. He's not saying that every angry outburst or all of your anger in your life, all the anger you're experiencing from COVID can be solved in a day. He's not saying that we have to reconcile with everybody within 24 hours. He's not saying that. Because the reality is sometimes what you need most in your anger is a good night's sleep. Can I just tell you, this is a side note, one of the best tactics, if there's like interpersonal stuff at work or anything like that, or with someone in your family, one of the best things you can do is write that email, write that note, but don't send it. Don't, don't send it. Go to bed, have a good sleep, eat a great breakfast, and then go read the email and read the note. What you'll probably find yourself saying is like, Good thing I didn't send that last night. So what Paul's not saying is sort it out within 24 hours. Here's what he is saying. He's saying, don't ignore your anger. Don't be casual about it. Don't put it off or pretend like it will solve itself. Anger must be processed and it must be dealt with. And here's why. Because when anger is unattended to, it will grow and it will ferment and it can become a well of bitterness in our soul. Like anger is like lethal poison. If it's not addressed, it can make its way into our whole person. Without even being conscious, anger unattended to can make its way through a whole person. I know I've kind of described this, but just think about how it happens. You experience hurt or letdown. And that hurt or letdown kind of turns into like a frustration or an underlying anger. And then you ex- unforgiveness is added to more hurt and the anger becomes almost calcified and then it becomes bitterness. And then you begin to see from that bitterness come hate. And, 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 and even like a low, like it, a lot of studies show that for, for, for men in particular, that like depression can sometimes be caused because of unaddressed anger. And so you can just see the different ways that anger can calcify and ferment and bring all kinds of darkness to your life. And so Paul is saying, don't be casual about anger. What's the first step? I think the first step to not being casual or addressing your anger is to name it. Is to admit that I've got anger in my heart. And um, I know I mentioned COVID already, but I, I wonder if you've taken time to process just the loss and letdown from this year. Like I was with a group of people and, and an individual was saying like, you know, I'm just really sad I didn't get to go on that vacation. And then they're kind of like, yeah, 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 but you know, I know I shouldn't, like there's real issues and I shouldn't uh, be upset about that. But that is loss. And then on the other extreme, there's people who've lost loved ones during COVID, lost their business, lost their dream. And all of those things represent things that are worth addressing. Like we've lost a sense of freedom and autonomy. our, our, Our lack of control has been fully exposed. And that can turn to anger inside of us. I, um, I experienced this on, um, on Easter weekend this year. We went out to my parents and, and we were out on their driveway again. So we did this last year. They've got like a front yard and we set up like social distance chairs. And um, I want my kids to see grandma and grandpa. And uh, we did like a little Easter egg hunt for the kids. And, um, it was really fun. But on the way home, I was processing with rage that I kind of felt frustrated. And I just, as I began to process, I realized like, oh, I'm not angry at anyone. I'm angry 
that a year later, we're doing the same thing again. It was just the experience of the deja vu. It's like a full year, because that's what we did last year, the exact same thing outside. I remember last year being cold, and I remember this year being cold. <laughs> so I'm like, and I'm, not, you know, it's like just the experience. And I know it sounds petty. I know it sounds petty, guys, but I just, the power is naming it. And then that allows me to invite God into it. Like, God, I'm feeling let down. I'm experiencing anger. And it's not always easy to name it. Um, there's a spiritual practice, uh, an, Ignatius, an Ignatian practice called the examine. And uh, I try to do this in the evening or before bed. And the examine has, it's a prayer. It's a way to connect with God and invite him into your life. And it really has five simple steps. You can do it in five minutes or 10 minutes. It doesn't have to take long. It's a simple way to connect with God. I love doing it before bed or in the evening. And it's simple, five steps. First step, just become aware of God's presence. So just begin to be like, God, you're here. I know that you live in my heart and just become aware of God. Second, review the day with gratitude. Starting at the beginning of the day, God, thank you that I had breath in my lungs for another day. Uh, thanks that I got the kids to school on time or thanks for the team I get to work with. And just look at the day with gratitude. Thanks for food on the table. Thanks for that moment of levity watching a show, The Office Before Bed, whatever it is, just look at the day with gratitude. And then three, step three is pay attention to your emotions. This is where you look through the day and say, where was I sad? Where was I happy? Where was I frustrated? And then step four is choose one feature of the day. It can be any feature. You could take, talk about a moment where you just saw beauty in a sunset or a moment of pain, a moment of empathy, a moment of confusion or a moment of even anger. And just begin to pray from that place. And then the final step is looking forward to tomorrow. Taking time to look ahead at the day. So I want to highlight that step three, which is pay attention to your emotions. There's just so little, there's so few spaces in our life where we can pause and just acknowledge what's going on in our interior world. And if we don't have moments in prayer or pause where we can stop and consider our emotions with God, these things can go unaddressed. And so for me, it often looks like this. When I look back on my day, I've got moments where I was frustrated, like trying to get out the door in the morning and feeling frustrated towards like my kids or Rach. And it's unfounded, but it's because like I want to get out the door on time. Or maybe you've experienced being in a meeting and you present an idea and someone pushes back on it. And you didn't let it show, but on reflection, you realize that, that it triggered something inside. You felt defensive. You felt worked up. You might even felt angry. You know, maybe there was a comment you saw on social media or somebody with a different political opinion. And in moment of reflection, you realize, like, oh, that triggered an emotional response from me. And so it's just taking time to say, like, oh, what's going on there? And my encouragement for you is to follow the thread. Follow the thread of your anger. And one question I find helpful to ask with anger is what am I trying to protect? What am I trying to protect? Because anger works to protect people and protect things. That's how it can be righteous. But most of our anger is very unrighteous in that we're trying to protect things that are selfish. If I'm honest, when I feel defensive in a meeting, what am I trying to protect? It's my ego. When I'm frustrated that we're not getting out of the door, what am I trying to protect? My sense of control, my sense of comfort, and my schedule. When I see a comment on social media, I mean, just follow the thread and where you often find yourself 
is it's your pride. It's your ego, sense of control. I even just think last night, I was doing bedtime and my kids found like these latex gloves. They started filling them up with water. And one of them said like, hey, can I like take this to bed? I'm like, it's gonna pop. And then like 10 minutes later, I heard just wailing downstairs, just sobbing because it popped all over the pillow, all over themselves and soaking wet. And I came into the room and I handled my exterior reaction fine, but I felt anger inside. But it wasn't righteous anger. It wasn't this like overwhelming desire to help my child learn to obey in a godly way. I was angry because I was trying to work on the sermon upstairs. It got in the way of my plans. And that's how it sneaks in so often. There are these unhealthy things in us that we're trying to protect. And I'm not saying that all of your anger is from that. Please don't mishear me. But I'm just saying there has to be a rhythm where we begin to invite God into those places and acknowledge that if you follow the thread of your anger, you might find that at the root of it is a selfishness. And that's part of the long-term journey of walking with Jesus. But let me be clear, it's not always selfish things that lead to anger. Much of your anger and the anger we experience is because of real pain and real hurt. Not because of your sinful desires, but because of other people's sinful actions towards you. And I'm so sorry. Like one of the things about being a pastor is you get to enter into people's stories. And I just know in our congregation, there are so, there's so much legitimate hurt, so much let down. Whether it's people sharing lies and rumors about you or abuse at the hands of someone you trusted, there's real hurt. And that hurt can turn to anger, which can turn to bitterness if it's not addressed. Chris will be doing a talk in the next couple weeks on anger and bitterness and forgiveness. And so I wanna leave it to him to unpack this further. But let me say this, one of the greatest gifts of walking with Jesus is the ability to forgive others so that you do not have to live in a cage of bitterness anymore. You can be free. Forgiveness in human terms seems impossible. But one of the miracles of the work of the Holy Spirit in our life is the ability to forgive even the unforgivable. And that's how we find freedom. And so Paul says, don't let the sun go down on your angry. He says, be angry. Don't hide it. Don't ignore it. But address it and invite God into it. And my invitation for you is to invite the Holy Spirit to give you wisdom to discern what steps to take. Steps of healing, of reconciliation with others, of repentance for unrighteous anger, and steps towards forgiveness where we've been hurt. And let me reiterate, this is impossible without the work of the Holy Spirit. The language of scripture is that the Holy Spirit is our comforter, our counselor, and our guide. He comes alongside of us to take us on a journey where? Towards Jesus and freedom. And any conversation about anger makes us very aware of our sin and the sin of others. And in Jesus, we discover a way out. Jesus took upon himself all of the sins of the world and he extends forgiveness and grace to the most hardened of criminals and hardens of hearts. And when you experience that grace given towards you, that I am a recipient of God's grace 
and forgiveness. It animates our life with the ability to forgive others. Last thought before I move on to the next point. This is a journey. It's not 24 hours. This isn't a quick fix. A journey might include like prayer today, talking to a friend, seeing a counselor, more prayer, more walking, more journaling. Like it can be a journey over time, but you're not alone on this journey. You've got a community around you and you have partnership of the Holy Spirit doing miraculous work in your life. Okay, third and final point. Paul says, do not give the devil a foothold. What does he mean by foothold? The word being translated here literally means a place. So he's saying, do not give the devil a place. Don't give the devil room in your life, in your family or your church. Like don't give the devil room. So what Paul is saying is that when we let the sun go down on our anger again and again and again, when we have unaddressed, unaccountable, unrighteous anger growing in us, we are leaving a window wide open to the enemy to come into our lives and bring destruction. And consider the broader passage of scripture. Paul isn't saying that this is just applicable to unchecked anger. He's saying this about greed and dishonesty and sexual morality. That when these things become commonplace in our life, where we make an agreement with them, where they're unchecked and there's no repentance, it becomes almost habitual in our life. This opens up space for the devil to do more damage. Now, there is a reading of this that could argue that Paul's using this idea of a devil's, the, the, the devil having a foothold as like a metaphor. And the metaphor would go like this, that if there's unchecked anger, the sun goes down on it again and again and again. That is like a recipe for all kinds of evil. And I think that that's true. You don't need demonic forces to see unchecked anger grow and become dark and destructive. But Paul is not using it metaphorically. He could have, and it would have been true, but that's not what he's saying here. For Paul, this is not a metaphor. The worldview of Jesus, the scriptures, and of Paul is that there's more going on in our world, in Vancouver, in this room, in my life, in my home, than just what we can see and touch. For Paul, there's a spiritual realm that interacts with our world. And that's good news because that means that God is at work, that the living God is at work around us. He's in the room right now. He's not far away. He's mingling with your heart because he wants to lead you to freedom. He's here to protect and serve your family, to, to lift up and restore your family. He wants to bring you to full life. He wants to convict you and invite you to, to know Jesus deeper. Like God is close, the kingdom is at hand. But this also means that there are spiritual forces of evil at work. And when Paul uses the word devil in this sentence, do not give the devil a foothold, he's not talking about the devil who's a singular person because the devil is not omnipresent. The devil like himself cannot have a foothold in every person. He's using devil as like a placeholder for all of the demonic principalities and powers, all the evil powers in the heavenly realms. That's what he's talking about here. And he's gonna unpack this more and Daryl will do some work on spiritual warfare out of chapter six in Ephesians. But check out what it says in Ephesians 6 verse 12. It says this, for our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. So for Paul, this is a very real reality. 
And in this way, we need to be on guard for the sake of our church, for the sake of the communities, our family, on guard against demonic powers that want to twist and lie and accuse. And we need to acknowledge that unaddressed anger fermenting in our heart towards one another is an open door for the enemy to exploit. And what does the enemy want to do? He wants to derail the purposes of God in your life and in the church. Think about how many churches don't serve the community around them, don't love one another, are not a place of refuge and hope and healing for the most vulnerable because of division. And just like I said before, like our sin on its own can cause the division. It doesn't need demonic powers to do that. But the enemy of God is sitting waiting for there to be this like unchecked, unrepentant, ego-driven sin entering into a community. And his purpose and plan is to exploit that, to prop it up, expand it with accusations, lie, and deepened, entrenched division for the sake of derailing the church. And the same is true in our personal lives. Unchecked, unaddressed sin, again and again and again, opens up a door in our life for demonic opposition. And Paul's not just talking about external opposition, which is real. He's talking about internal influence. And so when this happens, when the enemy gets a foothold in your life, and now demonic powers have internal influence in your life, your battle or your temptation is not just against, or so your battle is not just against sin and temptation, it's also against powers and principalities, against demonic forces. And I get that our modern ears don't like this. I don't like this. (laughs) It doesn't matter if I like it, though. This is the worldview that the scripture presents. We don't like that there are principalities and powers. We don't like that there are spiritual forces of evil at work in our world. But this is how Jesus lived. Read the Gospels. He enters into a city. He goes out to a man oppressed, casts out demons. This is the worldview of Jesus. And this is the worldview of scripture. Um, I was hosting a pastor friend from out of town named John, maybe about two years ago. And um, I have a friend in my life who had just experienced a ton of pain in his life and uh, just fighting sickness and tons of brokenness. And there was actually four of us together, my friend who I mentioned, John the pastor, another friend and myself. And uh, we decided to pray together. And while we're praying, John had a word of knowledge or insight from God for my friend about sexual morality and rage and anger. And so when he brought this up, my friend said, yeah, that, that resonates. Like, that's, that's accurate. And it wasn't like a broad, like, I just think they're sexual. It was really specific and it was, it was really powerful the way God was working in this. And um, we prayed for my friend and uh, we prayed for deliverance from demonic pressure in his life, not just from external opposition, but internal influence. And he was set free. He was delivered. It was incredibly profound. And a year later, we were biking together, my friend and I. And this is what he said. He said, I haven't looked at pornography for a year. And he says, for 13 years before that, 
I have been trying so hard. I don't think it's okay. I know it doesn't honor God. I know it doesn't honor my spouse. I've been trying and trying and trying with accountability. And um, I've had like, he'd say, I've had like good runs, like a few months, but I feel like I've always just been back to what he says, but I haven't looked at it in a year. And he says, everything changed after I experienced that deliverance. And he said this, he says, it's not that I don't still need accountability. He's not saying that's like impossible for him. And he's not saying it wasn't his responsibility. He's just saying like something about the power involved has changed. He goes like something has changed about the dynamic. I still need accountability. I still need to make wise choices. I still need to remove those things that cause temptation. But man, I have experienced freedom in my life. And then as I was preparing this sermon this week, I reached out to him and asked, hey dude, did that also happen with your anger and rage? And here's what he said. He said, before I prayed with John and experienced deliverance from Jesus, I would be overcome by rage when I would do kickboxing and exercise. He said, I would actually go to that place and I would enter into a place of rage. And it was like a blinding rage. And it was toxic in my whole life. And he goes, ever since we prayed together, my relationship with anger has changed. He says, I still get angry myself, at others, at God. But he goes, it's lost its power. There's not this rage that comes over me. The dynamic has changed. And now he says before he couldn't go to God and deal with his anger in the same way because there was all this rage. But he goes, now in my anger, I can go towards God and I can be honest about my anger. And he ministers to me in my anger. And it makes me wonder, how many people are in our lives and in our church, how many of us could be free from demonic pressure? What would it look like to see a church free? And here's the truth. We don't have to live in bondage to sin or evil powers. They have no right to interfere with anyone's life who's submitted to Jesus, any family submitted to Jesus, or any church submitted to Jesus. Here's the truth. Jesus conquered sin. He conquered sin on the cross. Like what Jesus did on the cross for our sin, like I know this conversation about anger, reflecting on the things we've said in our anger, the way anger is like interacting in our life. Like it brings up the reality that we fall short that we're sinful. And here's the good news. What Jesus did through his life and death and resurrection dealt with our debt of sin and it it dealed with sin's power to separate us from God so it doesn't separate us anymore. We have access to God. There's grace for you. There's no one who's done anything that has disqualified them from God's love and grace because Jesus dealt with the cost of our sin on the cross. This is good news. This is why we remember the cross with communion. This is why we celebrate what Jesus did on the cross because it dealt with our debt of sin. It removed sin's power. So we don't have to be in bondage to sin and we don't have to be separated from God because of our sin. We've been brought close. Thank you, Jesus. But it goes further. What Jesus did through his life, his death and resurrection defeated the powers of sin, death and the devil. Jesus has dealt the lethal blow to the enemy and all demonic powers. We have authority in Jesus. And so they have no right to interfere in our life. Through Jesus, we 
can be free. You need not be afraid. And so Paul says, be angry, but don't sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. And do not give the devil a foothold. 